Nearly 200 years ago, God gathered this little group of Jesus followers and formed a church. And that church is called Mountain. For 198 years, God's mission through Mountain has been unstoppable. And that's because at each defining moment along the way, Mountain people have stepped up with this gritty determination and this radical commitment to a faithful God who keeps making a way where there seemed to be no way. This is a defining moment. This is a time for the people of God to rise up. You are being called to make a difference with your life by stepping forward and saying, I'm in it for good. Hey, everybody. It's good to see you. Welcome. Let's just say hello to everyone at all the campuses. Everybody online, we just say hello. Welcome in. Welcome to week five of this thing we're calling Unstoppable Good. It's amazing. Next week is our commitment weekend. It's coming down to a great crescendo. And today, I'm just really glad you're here. Um, I'm going to show you a picture. And then I want you to tell me uh, what, it, what it represents, what it means. Okay, let's put the picture up. And what is that? Yeah, that's a white flag on a stick, and that is the symbol of surrender, right? Symbol of surrender. You should probably have a white flag in your hand if you're at one of our campuses. At home, maybe you can just grab a hanky or, you know, uh, rip your T-shirt off or get a, get a Kleenex or something. But everybody got, let's uh, kind of wave the white flag here. Let's see if everybody got, yeah, yeah. This, by the way, reminds me a lot of when the Twins won the World Series. I lit, they, was, they had the Homer hankies just like this, but that was a long time ago. All right, everyone's got their, got their, their little surrender hanky. You know, soldiers have been using white flags to use as a symbol of surrender for a long, long time. Way back, we've got records of the Romans and the Greek wars. It was the symbol of surrender way back then, thousands of years, medieval times, they used it. The Brits in the Revolutionary War waved the white flag, right? It happened a couple of times. The Civil War soldiers waved white flags of truce. And World War II, when you're sitting there in a, in a, in a trench and you've got soldiers surrounding you with a bayonet in your face, what do you do? Let's see it. Come on, if you're there, you're going to wave that white flag. You're going to surrender in that moment. And when you think of the white flag of surrender, here's the thing. Most of the time, we think of it in kind of negative terms, like, oh, shoot, we lost, or it's a defeat, or it's a loss, it's a bad thing. Hang my head in shame because I'm waving the white flag. But that's because of kind of how we're wired up and how we're oriented. Um, I want to I help us see something today that will help us think about the idea of surrender and the white flag in your hand in a completely different way. Because the truth is, your life with God can lead to the most unbelievable joys the human can experience. Your life with God can, can lead to a place of deep peace and confidence and hope and strength and love that very few people ever experience because they're not willing to surrender completely, fully to God. 
because it is, in fact, the act of surrender, full surrender, without reservation or restriction to God that leads to our greatest joys. God wants to lead your life, but you've got to trust him. And nobody waves the white flag of surrender to God unless you trust him. And you can't experience the life God has for you until you do. The word is surrender. You can fight him, or you can wave the white flag. But you can't really do both with God. So which are you doing most of these days? It's a great question, isn't it? It leads us to start thinking about our life and the parts of our life where maybe we've been holding out. As the old saying goes, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. I think the reason it's hard for me is because I like to be the boss. Around here, the, the, they get to, the, a lot of people think of me as their boss, so that's great, because I, I like to be in charge, and so do you. You like, to be, you like to be the boss of you, don't you? We all do. I want to be the boss of me. This is why everyone's so mad at everybody today, because it's like, that person's not doing what I want, or they're infringing on my rights. And rah, 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 rah. We're all so mad, because we want to be in charge. We want to be the boss of everyone, not just me. And, and we do the same thing with God. There's a battle for control, the Bible says, between you and God, between me and God, between all of humanity. We keep fighting and fighting and fighting. Like this, because we don't want to surrender. Which reminds me of Hiru Onoda. <laughs> Hiru Onoda signed up for war. He was a fighter in the Imperial Japanese intelligence uh, in World War II. He was assigned to sabotage the enemy, destroy some airstrips, and that kind of thing. And he was given very distinct orders by his superiors under no circumstances should you ever surrender. Well, the mission didn't go so well for Onoda. He... Um, he and everyone else that was assigned to the little remote island in the Philippines where he was, they all surrendered or got killed. And it was just him and a couple others left. And so they ran for the hills where they started hiding. Well, World War II ended in what year, y'all? 1945. Well, Hiru Onoda was a holdout. He had signed up to fight, and he didn't give up, and he wasn't about to surrender. He didn't believe the war was over. 1945, the Japanese army dropped all these leaflets on the island. They found those leaflets... They didn't believe it. They thought it was a propaganda lie from the enemy. His family sent pictures. They dropped him out of planes all over the island. They found him. They just thought it was all a trick. And so he remained at his post, kept fighting, shooting at the fishermen, shooting with the local police, and all the little group died except Onoda. So this, get this, this Japanese army officer holed up on this remote tropical island in the middle of the Philippines living on bananas and coconuts, fighting tropical weather and bugs for 29 years. True story. Just kept fighting. Wasn't going to wave that flag. Jesus says to us, Luke 9, 23, if, if anybody really wants to be my follower, let's put that word, that text on the screen here. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must, what is it? Say it again. Give up. What does that sound like? It sounds like this, doesn't it? Give up your own way and take up your cross daily to follow me. If any of you wants to be my disciple, you've got to give up and take up. Give up and take up. And yet we spend so much time trying to hang on. 
The next verse says this. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to end up losing it. But if you trust me enough, Jesus is saying, to really give up your life for my sake, in the end, you, you will say, you'll find the very thing you're looking for. But you've got to trust him to do that. Jesus says you've got to wave that white flag of surrender. A lot of people don't know. They think waving the white flag to anybody is defeat. And Jesus says it's going to lead to your best delight. It starts with trusting God, fully surrendering. Do you trust God enough to stop fighting? Let me ask you this question. What would complete surrender look like in your life? Like complete, full-on, no restrictions, like a blank check for God. What would it look like? In what area of your life might you be like Onoda, kind of holding out and still fighting? This story about Onoda is so fascinating. There's a movie about it. There's a book about it. You can probably go check it out. But a hippie backpacker traveling the world stumbles into his camp. I'm not making this up. They become friends, all right? But he still refused to surrender because he said he was waiting on orders from his commanding officer. I'll surrender when my leader tells me to. So this hippie hitchhiker guy goes back with the story and pictures to prove it. And so they found his commanding officer who had long since retired and moved on with his life, put him on a plane, put him in a uniform, walked him up the hill to where that guy was holding out. And I, I don't know what that conversation was like, but I'm thinking it's like 29 years later, it's like, bruh, it's time. You know, I mean, what do you say? Like, really, enough is enough. And we're doing this thing as a church. It's called Unstoppable Good. It's just a way to gather ourselves together. There's nothing magical about it. We're just going to God to find some way for God, just to humbly come before God and see if we can find our courage to hear him say, enough's enough. Are you ready to really fully surrender now and stop fighting me? Are you going to trust me with everything and everyone, every part of your life? That's, what, that's all unstoppable good really is. Here's a picture of Onoda in 1974 when they found him, convinced him the war was over, said you could stop fighting. He puts his rifle down. He still has 500 unfired rounds. He's got grenades, the whole deal. Here he is surrendering his sword to the president of the Philippines, Fernando Marcos, 29 years later. And I just feel like God's saying to all of us, man, it's time. So that little, that little hanky, maybe you take it in your hand again, is you're just kind of holding it. Let, it. let it just kind of physically, tactile way, let it represent for you the wrestling that every one of us does about areas of our life that we're still holding out, we're still fighting. And maybe you can just imagine yourself saying, okay, I, maybe it is time. For me to take that area, that thing, lay it down and not hold back. I lay down my bur that burden. I lay down that sin, that lust, that thing that's been controlling me, my anger. You're ready finally to trust God with it instead of trying to control it yourself. You can have control or you can trust God, but you can't do both. To say to Jesus, this one who loves us, I lay down my life, I'm done fighting, I lay down my fears, I lay down my whole life in complete surrender. You know, a lot of people think that the white flag started in China, 
way back in like the first or second century because the color white is associated with death and mourning in China. So they thought, well, maybe the soldiers, they used it as a way to signal their sorrow and defeat. Because surrendering in a way is a little bit like death. And Jesus kind of said the same thing, you know, didn't he? Matthew 10, 39, he says, if you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up, if you surrender your life, you will find it. What if we took Jesus' words seriously and really trusted him? And what if, we took, what, if we took, what if we took that so seriously that we changed the you, like Jesus is teaching you, what if he just made it, made it real personal? You willing? Let, let's just put the, put the next slide up and let's just, let's just, instead of you, we say I. Would you read this out loud with me wherever you are at each of our campuses? Maybe you want to hold on to your white flag as you say that. And just These are words from Jesus, and either they're true or they're not. But here's what he says. Read them with me, will you? If I cling to my life, I will lose it. But if I give up my life, I will find it. Oh, we're trying to find our lives. We're trying to find the good life. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, my old self has been crucified. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. The Chinese said, it's, it reminds me of a death. And Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, and now it's no longer really the old me who lives anymore, but instead what? Christ lives in me. And so I live in the same earthly body, but how do I do it? I do it by trusting in the Son of God because he loved me and he gave himself for me. When you trust God enough and you see what he's done, you see the love he's given you. It's like if you really trust him, you can do the whole surrender thing and the dying isn't scary because you know that's how you find your life. What do you need to die to, friends? What do you need to die to? Something that's got a grip on your heart that's keeping you from fully attaching a surrendered attitude to God. Is there some area that you're hiding from God that you're kind of hoping he doesn't bring up because you don't want to go there with him? Because you don't really want to trust God with that one thing. You're holding out on God. Do you have some fear that needs to die, some stubbornness? Are you fully surrendered? But these are, these are the really gripping questions of our faith. So a whole lot of people are very content to kind of skim over a version of Christianity that just sort of dabbles with faith, and we never get to the life that Jesus intends for us. And unstoppable good happens through lives that are more fully surrendered than that. The Bible's answer to the question when we say, I am fully surrendered, the Bible's response to that is prove it. And it shows us how to prove it. I, I want to spend a couple minutes telling you what I learned when I dug into this word surrender. Whenever you find this concept in the Bible, it almost always comes out in some kind of a gift of worship. The natural response of full surrender to Jesus is always going to be represented by gifts of worship. Think, think about what happened when um, Jesus appeared as a baby, right? After the shepherds left, who were the first guests to pay a little knock on the door to the, to the Jesus family? Yeah, the, the, we call them the wise men or the magi, right? They show up. We three kings of Orient are bearing what? Gifts. When people show up before Jesus, that's what they bring from the very, very beginning. 
Did they bring their time or their talent? Not primarily. What did they bring? Their treasure. What were the gifts? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I, 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 I doubt those things were on Mary's um, registry, you know, for the baby shower. I, I, they're not typical. I've heard it said that if the wise men were wise women, it would have been way more practical. Like, here, here's a casserole, here's a bag of diapers, and here's a spa card for Mary. You can watch the kid, you know, Joseph. So it would have been more practical, but here they brought these, these gifts, and they fall down in worship, these big, important, stately men, and they worship. And now there's a practical note here. I believe that those gifts actually served a practical purpose because remember what happened right after this. Well, Herod said he's going to kill all the babies, and Mary and Joseph had to run for their lives. They had to fl fly to Egypt. They didn't have any money. They're poor as peasants. But fortunately, someone came to the baby shower with some gold and frankincense and myrrh, and I think that's how they paid their travel. I think it's how they got to Egypt, and the mission of Jesus kept going forward. What do you think? I don't know. I don't think it's the main reason they gave those gifts, though, was to pay travel expenses. I think the main reason they gave them is because it represented worship and surrender for them. So can you picture that scene just for a moment? Like, I don't know what it looks like in your mind, but you've got these weary but wise and wealthy travelers bowing low before Jesus with their gifts held out in full surrender. And friends, that posture of the very first guest to ever meet Jesus is, I believe, the exact same posture he wants out of me and out of you. A posture of humility, surrender, and bringing a gift that costs us something. That's what worship looks like in the Bible over and over and over again. An unstoppable good, friends. It's going to accomplish a lot of practical things. When you give a gift, it's going to do good. It is. It's going to do all this stuff for mental health and kids and students and young adults. And we're going to do the sports ministry. We're going to do the epicenter stuff. We're going to launch a new camp. All, all Save lost people. Yes, yes, yes. But one of the primary things we're hoping to accomplish and the number one goal, as we've said from the very beginning, is that every one of us would have a moment like those guys had with Jesus where you would just surrender to him and worship by bringing yourself in full-on surrender and the most natural and normal. When you see these guys give a gift of extravagance, gold, myrrh and frankincense, and these, it's the most natural and normal thing when you see these wise kings do that. Let me ask you a question. Is it normal for you to do that? Is your devotion and surrender to Christ, is that what that looks like? Because when you are fully surrendered to God, Everywhere I see it in the Bible, it'll show up in your giving. It just does. One of, one, of, one of my great concerns as a pastor is that there are people who go to church all the time but never go all in with Christ. And the Bible's response to that is, man, you need to go all in. You need to wave the white flag. You need to fully surrender. And then if we say, well, I am, it says prove it. Moses. Before God used Moses to do all the amazing stuff, like part the Red Sea, here's the Ten Commandments, lead the people through the desert. Before all of that, God met Moses and says, what's that in your hand? What did Moses say? A stick, a staff, and what did God say? Throw it down, Moses. Let go of it. And he did. Went on the ground, turned into a stick, into a snake. And God said, pick it up again. And now he could use him, but it's like... That thing in his hand 
that represented his comfort and his identity and his strength and his provision, his way of life, all of that, God said, surrender it. Sometimes God wants to do something big through you, guys, but he's got to get you to let go of something first. And there's a surrender. I wonder what it is for you that's in your hand that's, that could hold you back, that you would say, I'm not letting go of this. I'm not going to throw that down, even if God tells me to. I believe when Moses threw that stick down, that was his all-in, I'm-in-it-for-good moment. God said, okay, now we can go places. I think unstoppable good is our all-in-in-it-for-good moment. And it's our opportunity to think about what are we holding on to that we don't want to let go of because you want to control it or maybe because it's controlling you. And those are things that will hold you back. It could be our fears. It could be our future. It could be our family. For a lot of us, it's our finances. And I, I love the honesty and transparency of my friends Chuck and Kathy Corbin. They sat down, and we just turned on the camera and let them talk. I'd love for you just to hear a little bit about their story. A lot of you know and love these guys. Watch the screen and check out Chuck and Kathy. I'm Kathy Corbin. I'm Chuck Corbin. And we've been married 34 years this past yep. April. And we've been at Mountain since 1997. We started right before Ben came. So it was just at the end of Dr. Cook. And yep. we currently attend the Edgewood campus. Tithing was never a thing for us. Um, I, I was raised Catholic, attend a Catholic church, so you threw money in the offering plate as it came by, but there was really no dedication to an amount. And we committed um, after we were baptized of tithing each week. And there was a Sunday that that week was extremely tight. Like there wasn't even enough money to buy Lucky Charms. <laughs> so we went to church and I didn't write our tithe out. And I don't remember what was said, but Mark Richardson was offering the prayer um, for the offering. And it convicted me that so badly that I wrote out a check and I put it in the plate and then I leaned over to Chuck and I said, you better hope God can cover that because we can't. And we got home and I had a stack of mail on the counter and of bills and I was just going through things, opening them up and throwing them away. And I came across what I thought was a mortgage statement. And when I opened it up, it was an escrow refund for about five times the amount that I had written the check for. So yes, God did cover it. And I'm just thankful you didn't throw it away and think it yeah. was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> With every campaign that um, Mountain has done, like when we started up on the hill and, and they, they started the campaign to build the NLC, of course, my first reaction was this will never happen. You know, we were 600 people yeah. on the hill on a Sunday. And I always said, you know, we're giving everything that we can give. But there was always that nudge, that pull to want to give more, to be a part of something better and bigger. And um, we would, we would stretch to make sure that, you know, that we were contributing not only our tithe, but then whatever, you know, campaign that we were helping with, you yeah. know. And again, it was one of those deals. A raise would come along, a bonus would come along. God just 
Yeah. Just provide it. You can't predict it's going to happen. You just have to trust that it's going to happen, and it did. And it wasn't just monetarily. I mean, it was our time and energies that grew also with that. You know, we stepped up and took bigger roles in different groups and stretched ourselves beyond what um, we thought we were capable of. Mountains are home. Um, mountain has been good to us. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna cry because you know, when you buy a home, you, you wanna, you keep that mortgage payment up, you, you keep it nice, you keep it clean. Mountains are home. And whatever we have to do to keep it moving forward and make it better and more beautiful, I yeah, mean. And, and that's the key. I mean, that is our home and we're gonna invest in our home. Yeah. It's not just about planting the pretty flowers in the front garden. For those that are, for those that are trying to figure out what they're gonna do, um, like you said, trust God, pray about it. It can be scary. When you make a commitment, any kind of commitment can be scary. And it's not to say that it's gonna be without challenge. I know what it's like, you know, to be living paycheck to paycheck. I know what it's like, you know, but have faith. And there may, and, and there may be, I'm sure there are some that can't financially, it's just not feasible for them to contribute. Right. But there are so many other ways that you can further the kingdom by serving, investing in the community, you know, whatever is needed. Your time is just as much, is just as valuable as your money is to the church. Yeah. My biggest thing is be in prayer. And when God speaks, listen. If he says give, give. Because he's not gonna tell you to do something he's not gonna help you do. I so appreciate their willingness just to be candid and honest about something that can be awkward and difficult to talk about. And, and it's just, I, I guess when you've, when you've experienced a little bit of full surrender and some of the joy that's on the other side of it, you're not very bashful about talking about it. It doesn't seem awkward anymore. I, that's why uh, we, we've given everybody, if you're part of Mountain in any way, you've been here a few weeks, a few months, a few years, a few decades, everyone hopefully has a card like this. It's, just, it's a commitment card. It's a simple tool for you to listen to God and reflect a commitment that you're going to make over the next couple of years together to represent full surrender. And on this card, we're asking every single person to really just engage with God and write down and do whatever he asks you to do. Let me just suggest that there are two words that ought to characterize. When you come to the place where you take a pen and you write on, your name on here and you, you write in a number, and I don't care who you are, I'm going to invite you to do that. The two words that I think of today, I, I think the first word is faith. It, it, it's just faith. You, uh, some of you know the name Dewey Barker. Dewey Barker was a longtime elder at this church, about 30 years. Good friend of mine and uh, dear to a lot of us, but he just passed away this last week, went home to be with the Lord. And I was in his home just last week, a few days before he died, and I said, Dewey, uh, let's read some scripture. What would you like me to read? And I knew the answer before I even asked him because he, he had a favorite verse that he always wanted to talk about. And he, and he said, with a very weak voice, he said, Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6, let's read it together here. It says this. It says, read it with me, will you? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's just such a profound idea. Faith being that key ingredient. And so this is why I say the word faith. 
Dewey tried to live his life that way. He was a guy who always wanted his own life and our church to take bold steps. It's why we are where we are today in a lot of reasons, I think. But uh, when you fill out that card, I would encourage you to do it through the eyes of faith. Write a, write a number that would force you to, to trust God and his love, his provision. You know, um, C.S. Lewis, when someone asked, how do I know what to give? He says, well, there's not a lot of rules in the Bible. And there's not. But he says, you know, you ought to give in a way that scares you. <laughs> that was his answer. You ought to give in a way that scares you because only when it scares you do you know you're really taking a risk and trusting God. Because you know, you know, I could be spending this on something else or I, I could be multiplying it some other way. Two young men on the very first pages of the Bible each offered a gift to God. They were both acts of worship. They were both apparently generous. And yet, as Genesis 4.4 says, 4.4b says this, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and accepted his offering, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And Cain, of course, was very angry and looked very dejected. What was the difference? You got two guys, two gifts. Both of them were farmers. One of them worked with animals. One of them raised crops. And they both gave these offerings. What's the difference? Well, here's what it says in verse 3. When it was time for the harvest, the first, Cain, the first guy, he presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. So it seems well enough, a generous gift perhaps, but verse 4 says what Abel did. Abel brought a gift also, but he brought the best portions of the firstborn from his flock. That's all we have to go on. And what it tells us is that one gave something, but it probably didn't really involve much faith or surrender. He gave maybe some leftovers. But it's clear that Abel gave first and his best off the top. He didn't just pay his bills and his family and take care of everything and then say, well, I've got something left for you, God. He gave his best and his firstborn. What does that mean? I mean, the first sheep, he gave it to God. He didn't know if there'd be any more sheep. But he said, God, I'm fully surrendered to you, and I'm giving this one to you. He didn't wait till he calculated and everything worked out. Abel gave first out of surrender and faith. God was pleased with his gift, not because he gave more, but because he gave with faith. And I think that's the reason God loves any gift. It's just like Abel. He's able to look and see a surrendered heart. So, I don't know. I mean, Carl and I are wrestling with this, you guys. This is, we're trying to come up with something that really represents, like, Something that will be like Abel, will be like, I want to represent a surrendered heart. I don't want to like, calculate and make sure I can take care of everything and everything left over. I'm going to give it to God. I want to give my best. I want to give my first. I want to give with faith. I want to give with surrender. I hope you do too. Number two, the second word that should characterize, I think, all of us as we come to God, like wise men, like Cain and Abel, like, like Abel, is the word surrender, the word we're focusing on. Surrender really is this idea of complete all-in blank check to God, like all that I am, all that I have, and all that I ever hope to be, God, it's yours. Here's a blank check. My name is signed on the bottom. Whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want it, I am yours. That's what normal Christianity looks like. It's just that it's so rare to see, we think it's abnormal. But it's exactly and only what Jesus calls us to. Take up your cross. Lay down your life. Surrender all. We used, to, we used to sing a song at the church I grew up in. It's an old hymn. And it just says, um, uh, when I survey the wondrous cross, like look at what Jesus has done. 
on which the Prince of Glory died. And, and my richest gain in life I would count but loss, and, and I would pour contempt on all of my pride. And all the vain things that charm me most, I would sacrifice them for his blood, it says. And the last verse says this. Some of you know this old home. Were the whole realm of nature mine, if, I, if everything in the world belonged to me, that would be a present far too small for the love that's so amazing and so godlike. Man, it demands, it requires, there's got to be some kind of response, and it's nothing less than my soul, my life, and my all. That's surrender. It's full-on surrender. You're not holding back. You're not like, God, I want you to bless me over here, but stay out of this. That's, you're never going to get to the good life. So don't worry for a second about what anyone else is going to do. This is between you and God. And I don't know if you're new or old to this. Right? It's between you and God. And it, 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 you don't worry about what someone else, you're just asking, what does God want from me? We're looking for 100% engagement and full surrender. Now, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just tell you this card, I'm going to get really practical because next week is just commitment time. We're just going to come and do it, and, and there we go. So let me tell you what's on here in case some of you are like, I don't know what's going on. So there's a card. The left hand side, talks about the primary goal, and that's like what we're talking about. Like everyone just get into the face of God, let God get into your face and have a conversation about where you are with him, and then do whatever he asks you to do. Second side of the card, the right side of the card, um, that's where you're going to write in these boxes. The first box is what you would normally give to this mission because you say, God's given me this, and I'm going to give it to this mission. It's what you normally would do in a year. It might be a very little, might be a lot. Wherever you are, it's great and it's good. It's already included in Unstoppable Good. You write the number in there. The second box is where Unstoppable Good comes in. It's like that's your expanded generosity. How is God growing you right now? Where, where is he trying to stretch you? What would full surrender look like in this area of your life if you brought a gift that reflected that? Let God speak to you and... Faith and surrender, write a number down. Then you multiply it times two because this is a two-year initiative and you're going in, you're committing for two years on this. And then there's a box for stored resources. This is the one that everybody always asks me about. They don't understand what that means. Well, it's like, well, it's not just trusting God for whatever provision financially he's going to give you, but it's like, well, what has he already given you that you already have? Like, who knows? People, people come up all the time. They're like, I got these stocks. I got this property. I got this stuff, this valuable cash savings. Can I leverage it for God? And it's like, well, yeah, you can. A family in our church just sent me a, a picture of their boat. Here's their boat. And I looked at the boat. I said, that's a nice boat. And they said, you know what? We love that boat, but we love our Lord more, and we feel called to liquidate this boat so we can do more for unstoppable good. I'm like, okay. Now, that just inspired me. That just changed the way I'm thinking. Thank you for telling me that. Because they want to release an earthly possession so they can make a heavily investment. I know someone in this church who's selling an extra car, so they have a little extra cash to give to Unstoppable Good. I heard about someone who said, my wife and I have been saving and saving and saving for retirement, and our goal was to live like kings and queens all through our retirement. But now the more I think about it, I don't want to spend the last 15, 20 years of my life living in the lap of luxury like a king or a queen before I meet King Jesus. That's what heaven's supposed to be about. I'm going to transfer some of this, heavenly, some of this earthly stuff to a heavenly investment so I can take more people to heaven with me. And they're rethinking what they're doing. I, I love that. That sounds like that person's wrestling with surrender. A young professional said, I have a mountain bike, and I feel like this is what God's wanting me to surrender. This is between you and God, as long as you are surrendering. So Carl and I are with you guys in this. The elders are all in. I've asked the staff to be 100% in. We're going to lead the way, and I'm going to try to do something that says, 
This is not easy. It's a little scary because that's where God wants me to be in this season of my life. So I can declare it's where my treasure is and my heart are in the same place. It's where my value is. And I know, I know, I know, I know that some of you are just super uncomfortable about all of this, and, you know, because we understand that. You hate it when churches talk about money. And there are some abuses out there. I get all that. I get all that. But I hope you don't let that rob you from hearing what Jesus is trying to invite you to and encourage you to wave the white flag and say, well, I'm going to do it for some parts of my life. You know, the Geneva Conference actually has a rule. You can't wave the white flag and then turn around and fight some more. It's like there's a law about that. So you can't really surrender and say, well, I'm not going to do that part. It's kind of an all-in sort of deal. It's what we mean when we say in it for good. I know some of you still get really uncomfortable. We're so, I just want to give you permission. If you're like so angsty about this, I so want you to experience the joy and what I'm talking about, about the growth you'll experience when you become a more radically generous, like open-handed, surrendered, every area is God's kind of follower. And I so want you to get why we do this at Mountain Life. We're not trying to get partially devoted followers of Jesus around here. We're trying to get all-in followers of Jesus because that's where the good stuff happens. I just so want you to see that, that I give you permission. Give somewhere else. Try it. If you're too skeptical, you've had a bad experience in a church, but just make sure it's a church. Don't be given to some, you know, thing where you're in control. You give it to a church because the church is Jesus' plan and the hope of the world. Give with faith and surrender. Give to a Christ-centered church. But I also just want to be honest with you and call your bluff a little bit because I know for most people who say, I don't like them talking about that, most of it, it isn't about don't trust the church or anything. A lot of it is we don't trust God messing with this area of our life. We don't trust him enough to wave that white flag. Because we're still fighting. And I, I, I just think it's important that we heal from that and grow through that. And that's why we would just say, man, I don't think there's any better way, any more trustworthy place for you to give than the portfolio that's in this booklet about the things that we're going to do together. And we're transparent fully. There's no secret about where every dime goes. If you still have questions, come ask. We're under the leadership of elders who watch every dime. If you have to ask questions, ask questions. But I don't think that's it for most of us. I think for most of it, it's just hard to really trust God with every part of our life, including this one. And until you address this, you'll never experience the faith of surrender at the deepest level. So that's all. I just ask you to worship and pray this week. Be as serious as you can about it and come ready with a flag of surrender. As we close, can I just, can I just ask you to get your hand on that flag again? We're going to sing in just a minute. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised if some of us just feel, you just feel like putting it up your hand in the air with that flag. That's okay. But right now, I just want you to hold that and let it represent your desire to say, I do trust you, God. And to think about that part of your life, that one hidden sin, that one fear that you, is just crippling you. Maybe it is your finances. Maybe it's like you want to give, but you don't want to give in a way that's going to affect anything. Whatever it is, just let that... The feeling of that flag represent your surrender to God. And then we'll just give ourselves a chance to sing it and say it, and you let those words become true as you begin to enter a week of prayer as you get ready for next week. Okay? Let's pray together. God, we just we want to be able to say with integrity, I surrender all. Oh, but we need your help with that because it's hard to say, to say I surrender, first of all, and it's hard to say all. So we just ask for your help and 
we thank you for your patience and forgiveness. And just help us, if it's just a little step, to take a little step. And help us not to get hung up on a mount, but just to, to know that it's, it's the extent of our, our time, the extent of our energy, the extent of our treasure that we give and hold back that matters the most to you. So we surrender to you now, Lord, and we offer this in Jesus' name. Amen.